Hello and welcome to The Harbinger. I'm Scott Owens, your host of this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us and listening today. I want to begin right out of the gate to encourage you as we begin this podcast and the other podcast that you always have your Bible and a notebook and a pen handy so you can write down the scripture references within our studies. There's going to be times when I reference different books that I'm reading that you'll want to write the title down to add to your library. And so I just wanted to make sure you had those uh, essentials before we begin to study. I want to begin this podcast by asking a question that I feel every pastor should be asking themselves, assessing their ministry and asking this question. And I think church members ought to be asking this question as well. And it is this, why are pastors not teaching and preaching on prophetic texts in their churches? See, it seems that pastors are still hung up on this psychological therapy preaching, seeking only to bring the best out of people. And what's actually happening is that now we are cultivating within our church what is always been in existence in our culture, and that is this victimization mentality. I also feel that pastors don't spend enough time preparing. This is a pet peeve of mine as a pastor, because pastors live everywhere else except in their study, where they need to be crunching the books and praying over the text and getting the mind of God and the message of God for the people they have been assigned to oversee. Pastors don't want to put the time in that is required to study and it really shows in the pulpit and in people's lives. Now, here's a side note. For all those churches out there who are without a pastor, your, uh, your endeavor to find a pastor is slim pickings today because in air quotes, those who say they're called to preach, they cannot handle the Bible properly. And so you spend years flipping through, shuffling through, wading through hundreds of applications of men who say, air quotes, they are called but present the Bible like some VBS lesson, shallow, surface preaching, nothing substantial with depth and meat to it to put your faith in. And so pastors also don't challenge their people when it comes to the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had a man come up to me and He said, man, I've never been challenged in the Bible like I've been challenged in this church. And so pastors don't challenge their people, challenging them to study the Bible like you study the Bible. That is what I mean by challenging your people. Learning the original language, knowing the genre of the text, breaking that text down and building one solid, complete sentence that describes what the text is actually saying. Do you realize, pastor, You don't have a right to even begin to develop an outline or your message for Sunday until you can take that text and describe it with one complete sentence. Because that sentence is going to be your reference point throughout the message. You're going to go back to that sentence. Everything revolves around that one sentence. It has your key word in it. So every church member should know this. Every church member sitting in those chairs should know how to take the Word of God and handle the Word of God and become a Bible student that is proficient in the Scriptures. 
I've always said this to our church. The Bible is more than a devotional book. It is a book to be read. It is a book to be studied. It is a book to be meditated upon. Now I want to give you some of my own personal convictions as a pastor. A couple of weeks ago during the Shepherds Conference in California, Dr. Steve Lawson made a comment that really, really resonated with me. And he said this, and I quote, Preachers will stand in greater judgment before God than anybody else, end quote. And we will, because we handle truth. I believe a minimum, a minimum of 20 to 30 hours should be what goes into one sermon or lesson. You see, we as pastors now, we resemble CEOs of companies. We spend more time in a meeting room than we do in a closet praying for the mind of God. I spend at least a minimum of 20 to 30 hours. Now that's not always the case, but when there's not a lot going on in my life, 20 to 30 hours into every lesson. And I'm a manuscript preacher. I want you to know this. I am a manuscript preacher. I take into the pulpit a minimum of 10 pages of notes. Maximum 20. This past Sunday, I preached from 20 pages. And I want to be prepared. I want to be ready. I want my, I want my, 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 uh, my information in front of me. I cannot just take a skeleton outline and preach effectively. One or two pages, maybe one page with some scattered thoughts. I need direction. I need clarity. If you want to stay off rabbit trails, do your homework. Stay in that study. It's not a, it's not a pastor's office. It's a pastor's study. And I'm, I never leave the text. My hand, and this is what I've... I've learned from reading homiletical books and uh, preaching and being in ministry for 30 years, still sharpening my skills. I've learned that you keep your hand on that book. You keep your hand and that finger pointed toward that text. You keep your hand on those notes where you don't leave the text. Very seldom do I leave the pulpit area. Very seldom do I step away from the Bible. One thing that really bothers me with today's preachers, and it's this, they'll read one verse and never go back to the Bible. They'll walk away from it. And it's like you are let, hanging yourself out there for failure, friend. And so these are some things we need to understand. And, and yes, this is my soapbox because being in ministry for 30 years, I, I have had the privilege of sitting under some of the most wonderful, greatest preachers that our nation has produced. The greatest. And it was ingrained in me. It was almost brainwashed into me. The style that now I have taken as I present the Word of God. So... There's my soapbox. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel everybody is kind of really wondering what's going on and trying to make sense of all of this. And this is, uh, this is the topic, the part Russia plays in biblical prophecy. Now, today's uh, podcast will be a part one, and then after this one we'll do part two. Uh, and so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 38 and 39, if you would, please. 
And these are the texts that we're going to be reading and studying in the next couple of podcasts. So I want you to do your homework and I want you to read them in your private time, in your quiet time, and just let the Holy Spirit of God show you and point things out. I'm going to tell you some things that I tell our church here at Northside. Uh, mark reoccurring words, repetitive words, repetitive phrases, phrases and words that kind of jump out at you. Mark those in your Bible because these are key little areas that uh, the Holy Spirit of God wants you to take attention, uh, put a, put your attention on and, and take notice of. Uh, these little repetitive phrases are kind of giving to you what the text is actually talking about. So do that if you would. So I never want to be known. Uh, for not dealing with the unfolding events and unprecedented times and the unbiblical issues of our times from a biblical perspective. We have we have heard and we hear from every media source there is concerning events, issues, and the times in which we find ourselves. Every media source out there has an opinion. And now the evangelical church has an opinion about issues and these events and these unprecedented times in which we find ourselves. And why should we not hear from God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word? That's the one source that matters the most. Most. What's God's opinion? What does God say about these events? So I don't know if you remember in the 1980s, the crash dummy commercials. Remember the slogan, don't you be a dummy? Buckle your seatbelt. So the actual crashing of the car was invented and patented by Mercedes-Benz. Now, a Mercedes-Benz TV commercial showed a car colliding into a concrete wall during a safety test. And someone then at the time asked one of the Mercedes engineers why their company did not enforce their patent on the car's energy absorbing car body. The Mercedes design had been copied by almost every other car maker in the world. And in spite of the fact that Mercedes had an exclusive patent, and this is what the engineer said, and I think it just echoes down through the chamber of history to today. Don't miss this, loved one. It echoes down the chamber of history. And here's what the German guy said in this German accent. Now, I'm not going to do the German accent, but here's what he said, and I quote, because in life, some things are just too important not to share. In 2021, as I began to pray about what God would want me to preach in the pulpit of Northside, I was faced with three particular areas or approaches to studying the scriptures for, for Northside Baptist Church. I had never put together a preaching calendar. Now in 2020, we put together this huge event calendar that ended up just sitting on my refrigerator lifeless because of COVID. So when 2021 rolled around, I began to pray and began to ask God what it is you want us to focus on, what it is that you want us to preach on, what it is that you want us to teach on. Let me give you two things about me as a pastor. I've tried this. It's like, David, I put that armor on. It just doesn't fit. I've never been able to be successful in being a vision pastor. I don't have these vision Sundays where we have balloons stuck up everywhere and flying uh, banners everywhere. I've never had any luck with that because here's what I have found out. By March, we've already lost the vision. 
Uh, I tried to be a word year, a, a, a word for the year pastor. Uh, you know, you read all these bobbleheads that feel like they are the uh, experts at this, you know? And, and so I've never been one of these, oh, this is the word for the year. Because by March, I walk around my church and I ask people, hey, what's the word for the year? And they don't even know. And so I've never been that kind of preacher. I've tried it. I've got books on my shelves about vision, vision, vision. I know what Proverbs said, without a vision, the people perish. You know, we need to keep things kind of in context. I think a church ought to have a mission. I think a church ought to have an objective, but I think it ought to be a biblical mission. We've got a co-mission. That's a great mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. That's a great commission. That ought to be our mission. Is to be gospel driven, gospel boldness in our in our day in which we live. But all of this circus mentality in the church, you know, we're trying to you know drum up excitement, drum up enthusiasm. Here's what I have found out: you preach the word of God, and people become extremely excited about truth. And so we built a preaching calendar. I got together with Aaron, and who's my uh, my oldest son. He's my associate pastor. Got together with Aaron. We began to develop this thing. We're preaching through the Gospel of John, and uh, it's just really been a blessing. We've seen God save some some individuals and bring uh, bring them to faith in Christ through this through this approach. But I was I was confronted with three approaches, three particular areas where God wanted us to kind of focus on. And I want to say to you this morning, these are not original with me. I want to be very open and upfront with you. These came from a homiletical book that I have been reading and working my way through. And uh, these three just resonated with me. Really, just stood out to me that hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to focus on this. And so, here, here's what they are. First one is God wanted us to focus in the 2022 year on expositional preaching and teaching. I think there's no other way of doing the Bible than expositionally. I'm not a topical preacher. I am an expositional preacher, textual preacher. I am a text-driven preacher. I let the text build my sermon. I let the text build my outline. I let the text build my proposition. All right. I don't let deacons meetings build my sermons. I don't let committee meetings build my sermons. I don't let issues that are in the church build my sermons. And if you're a pastor that does that, I don't let Facebook build my sermons. If you're a pastor that does that, then God help you. You ought to let the text be what builds your sermon. And so I felt God impressing on us to be an expositional focus, working our way through a book of the Bible, the Gospel of John, with some lengthy portions of Scripture in there we try to chew on and try to unpack. The second one is doctrinal approach topically addressing prominent doctrines i believe with all my heart that every pastor ought to be a theologian he ought to be a theologian at heart he ought to want to drive into his people's hearts why they believe what they believe what they believe what they believe and let that shape their life amen let it shape their life what are the foundational truths of the christian faith what are they and so if you walk into any church and say, hey, ma'am, sir, what do you believe? And why do you believe that? So the third one is prophetical. Addressing events and issues of our, of, our, of our era that we're in from God's vantage point. Now, some of these can be difficult, difficult texts. But there again, preachers are afraid to tackle the hard text. It means sweat, blood, and tears in the study. That's what it means. 
So I'm going to go back maybe four Wednesday nights. We were in the early stages of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, and they were unfolding. And I read a tweet from a pastor whom I follow and listen to often that I think the world of one of these days I hope to meet is Dr. Mike Brunson. Valleydale Church there in uh, Alabama, I think it is. And uh, he made a he made a comment on that Wednesday night that just really popped off the off the screen. And I thought, yes, that needs to be in every church. That needs to that that needs to be in every preacher's ears right there. And here's the quote. And I'm going to quote: "I'm afraid much of America is clueless as to how serious the world situation is tonight. This generation has never seen anything like what this could turn into." So it's Thursday morning, it's 5, 4.45, and the barrage of headlines, my phone's just blowing up. Death from above, I quote, I quote, fighting from their lives. The viper has uncoiled. Boy, that's a, that, that one really stood out to me. And here's a quote, just Russia invades the Ukraine. I believe with all my heart that the Bible is very explicit when it comes to the state of humanity leading up to the coming of Christ. What kind of condition will define the days leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible plainly tells us that there will be this unconcerned spirit. People will go on with life as usual. Fun, pleasure, enjoyment, doing their thing without any regard of their own soul's eternity, or let alone anybody else's soul's and people will just not care. Only focused on whatever is in front of them at the moment. Living in the moment. Living for the moment. Never giving a second thought to eternity. Or the fact, the, the sobering reality, that we're going to stand before God one day and be judged. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37 and 30 through 39, but as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Having fun, doing their thing, doing life, partying, pleasure, vacations, nothing wrong with that, but no concern for spiritual matters, only the physical, only the enjoyable, social interaction. And please, let me say this. Don't never come back to this podcast and say Scott's not into vacations. I'm all about vacations, but it's not what runs my life. Pleasure doesn't run my life. Fun doesn't run my life, but I have a lot of fun. And so the point is this, there's no regard for the things of God. There's no spiritual realities that are focused on. Luke chapter 7, verses 31 and 32, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? To what are they like? They're like a bunch of children sitting in the marketplace. Calling to one another, we've piped to you, you've not, you've not danced, you've mourned, we've mourned to you, you've not wept. We're trying to, we're trying to play and, and, and there's just this sense of just having fun and playing and, and, and life is, is like a bunch of children with no regard. Children have no regard for future. They're just all about that moment. So now, 
Omicron has now been upstaged by a new act, and that act is Russia. And of course, both are kind of biting for center stage. But it seems that Russia has now arrested the attention of the world. Everybody's focused on Russia, flying their colors, the Ukrainian colors on Facebook and, and Twitter. And, 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 and just a month ago, we were debating over mandates. We were rooting for these trucker convoys in Canada that were protesting the mandates. But just this week, and I'm talking four weeks ago, we see a universal attempt to place hard sanctions on a country and its leader who has launched an attack that is the largest since the European, the European attack of World War II. People are bombarding the social media world with a plea to pray for the people of Ukraine, and I have been praying for those people. I have been praying for those people. I have been. So Psalms 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Malachi 1, 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. This is a God thing, y'all. So here's a question, and then we're going to break, and we're going to come back for part two. Here's a question that we're going to seek to answer. What part does Russia play when it comes to prophecy? We hope and pray that you come back for part two because we're going to dive into Ezekiel 38 and 39. Again, I want to thank you for being a part of the Harbinger episode one, season one. We'll see you right back here for part two of what part does Russia play in, when it comes to biblical prophecy.